Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate, a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let me pray. Father in heaven, As we approach this new sermon series in the parables, we ask, Father, for your Spirit's help. Without your Spirit, we would not understand your word. Without your Spirit, we would not see, have ears to hear, or hearts to receive. And so we pray for those things. We pray that your Spirit would be at work within us, understanding the words here of Jesus, and responding rightly in faith and trust. And we pray that you would do this for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a tale of four kinds of people that I've met in ministry. All of these names and genders have been swapped and changed, but they are real people. First, there's James. James was a uni student who came along to a YF camp. He was in my Bible study group. We had four Bible studies over that weekend. And for the first two Bible studies, he sat there bored and every five minutes sighing heavily and audibly. Uh, That's really discouraging for a Bible study leader. Uh, But it actually uh, got better in the last two studies because he chose not to sit with us but on the grass a few metres away and working on his tan. Um, From what I can tell, he hasn't been back to church at all. Next there is Jane. Jane became a Christian in late high school. She was a youth group leader, one of my leaders, in fact, at YF. She was a massive encouragement in the early years of my walk. But over a period of a few years, she started to grow distant from church. It it started with some 
Christians that she saw acting hypocritically, and then she had small doubts about her faith, and that started to become big doubts. Her family berated her constantly for her faith, and after being worn down by her family and her doubts, she walked away. I bumped into her a few years ago at a wedding, and we got to chatting and I asked how things were, and I, I, I asked about this. And she said she'd always loved Jesus. But everything else was just too hard to deal with. And for her, it was just easier just to not take it seriously. The third person is Alex. Alex grew up in church. He attended our youth fellowship for about six months and in Bible studies, often gave the simple Sunday school answers to everything. You know those answers? Bible, prayer, God, Jesus, right? Those simple answers. He said he followed Jesus, but he would often admit that one of his biggest idols, or two of his biggest idols in his life, was his career and his convertible car, which admittedly was very nice. Uh, I was surprised after six uh, he was with our group for six months, didn't see him for a little bit, and then I was really surprised that he turned up to a leadership conference with his fiance. I heard, however, through family that while they got married, they ended up getting divorced. He just didn't want to have any part of church anymore and any part of her faith, and so he walked away. He started up a a business as a life coach, an entrepreneur, with the motto, dance while your money works for you. Last I heard, he was working somewhere on the Gold Coast and not attending church. The final person is Abigail. She became a Christian in high school, And while her parents weren't very keen on it, she managed to stand firm in her faith. Over the years from high school through to uni and working life, she was steadily involved in Sunday school ministry and her fellowship group. She got married to a great guy. They both served uh, in their church, and now she has three kids who she loves and prays with every night. Now, at first, those stories, they all sound very different. But did you notice the similarity in all of those stories? All of these people heard the same gospel. They each heard the same word of God preached to them, taught to them in Bible study, and yet their lives showed different reactions to that same word. Why? Why do some people carry on in their faith, and why do some people look like brick walls that just can't respond? Why do some people seem to respond but then walk away after some hardship or trials. And perhaps more to the point, you sitting here today, how do you know that you will respond well to God's word, not just today, but also tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that until the end? As we open up our passage today, that's one of the key questions before us. Why do some people respond well and not others? But before answering that question, let's set the scene a little bit. You have a look at verse 4 in chapter 8, um, and you'll notice that we start with a crowd following Jesus, right? People from town after town coming to hear him speak. Now, on a human level, this might have looked spectacular, but Jesus knows that numbers can lie. So he tells them a parable, a very simple one. Read, read it with me again from verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. 
And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. The end. No explanation. Mic drop. Walk off. Now, it might be worth pausing here for a moment and thinking about what a parable is. We're starting a series here on the parables in Luke, partly as a way to fill in the time to get to our series before at the beginning of semester. Um, but what is a parable? Some say that a parable is like a sermon illustration. But if a parable is like a sermon illustration, then Jesus is a terrible preacher. Uh, illustrations are meant to make things clear. It's what preachers are meant to do. But when often Jesus' parables are quite confusing. Their stories are sometimes hard to understand, the details of, and often Jesus just doesn't explain what the parable is meant to illustrate. Some say that parables are like stories with a moral. But again, if they are, then again, Jesus is a bad teacher. Not that only are his parables sometimes hard to understand, but his disciples not only didn't understand this parable in Luke 8, but they constantly misunderstood Jesus. But you know, in verses, the second half of verse 8 to verse 10, Jesus says that misunderstanding his parable is actually the point. You see, parables are stories, that's obvious, and parables do have a meaning, that should be obvious as well. But being able to understand the meaning of a parable is sometimes outside the possibility of some people. Why is that? Why do some people get Jesus and why do some people not get him? Well, read again the second half of verse 8 with me. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see that there? Jesus is basically saying that those who do not understand do not because they do not hear Jesus. Now that line, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, that's a quote from Isaiah 6 that we read up before. Now in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah is being given a job by God. It's a ministry position. Not exactly the most wanted ministry position, you'd think, though. He's told to go and preach to Israel. God will give you everything to say. Sounds like an easy job so far. But as you preach, no one will listen to you. And as you read through Isaiah, you'll notice that as the people do not listen, Isaiah keeps preaching again and again, and then he simplifies his message to make it as clear as possible. He's not dumbing down the message. He makes God's message ultra clear. But Israel's repeated rejection of that message has the effect of hardening their hearts. Their hearts become so hard that they go beyond the point of responding. And Jesus is doing the same thing here. This is why he speaks in parables, because in pre his preaching will have the same effect. Some people will hear his little parables, and they will not see. They will not hear. And they will not understand. Why? Because they reject Jesus, and their hearts are hard. So, see, Jesus is basically saying the condition of your heart determines whether you will hear and receive the truth he speaks. Now, if there's one thing every preacher sees in their lives, it's this. People falling asleep in their sermons. All right? It starts with the droopy eyes, and then after another minute, the eyes kind of shut permanently, and then you begin to notice that they nod themselves awake, Right? 
Kent Hughes, a pastor of over 50 years' experience, he's seen it all. I, I read during this week, he said this, I've seen people fall asleep and bump their heads on the pew in front of them or drop the hymnal that they are holding. I've heard people awaken with a snort. In one congregation, a young man slept in the front row every Sunday. Before I could get through the introduction, his eyes were closed, his head tilted, and he was gone. The most memorable instance, however, was the Sunday both he and his wife fell asleep with their heads propped up against each other. He even tells the story of one of his elders falling asleep and his wife nudging the elder awake, and he stood immediately and started giving the benediction in the middle of the sermon. All right? You'll be amazed at what the preacher can see. How many people are asleep right now? Okay, that's good. Look, there are various reasons why people fall asleep, right? Some, some of you guys, you've had a really big week already. Um, you've had massive work schedules. And when you sit down on a Sunday morning, maybe it's the first time all week you've had to relax. Sometimes there's medication involved. I know that. Uh, maybe there's been a baby that's been awake all night, right? And sometimes, just, just sometimes, maybe the sermon's a bit boring. Maybe. But you know what? I'm, I'm actually not all that concerned when people fall asleep. Okay? It's, it, it happens. You know what does concern me? It's the people sitting here who are awake, but your soul is asleep. This parable from Jesus lays out the plain truth about what some people are like, maybe even some people here today. So, let's walk through the explanation of the parable and test our hearts. The, first, uh, the disciples ask for clarification on the parable, and Jesus explains it like this. First, the seed. The seed is the word of God. Notice that the sower is anonymous. It might represent Jesus, but it's likely to represent anyone who shares the word of God with others. When you tell your friends about Jesus, when you share your testimony with a work colleague, when you sit down and walk through the gospel with someone, you are scattering the seed of the word of God. But the parable is not focused on that much on the sower or the seed. It's focused on the soils that this seed finds itself falling into. See, each soil represents a different response. And to risk mixing metaphors, each soil represents a different kind of heart. See, the first heart in verse 12 is as hard as the pavement. Right? In the experience of most Israelites, this would have been familiar. Scattering seed on the farmland always meant that some of it would hit the hard pavement. Birds would then come and pick them off. And the same thing happens here. When the word of God hits a hard heart, it never penetrates the mind. It never touches the conscience or even enter the heart. Have you ever wondered why some people can come to church week after week and hear the gospel on multiple occasions but leave no apparent impression on them? They just come but they remain the same? Some people just don't respond. Why? Because their hearts are hard, rock solid. Nothing seems to break through. On top of their hard hearts, they also have someone working against them, Satan. Phil Riken, in his great commentary on this, on the Gospel of Luke, reminds us that if he could, Satan would prevent everyone from hearing the Gospel because he knows that the Gospel brings salvation. Right? Satan is not out there just doing something nebulous called evil. He is far more pragmatic than that. 
His number one aim is to destroy the church. Satan comes in and he snatches away the word as soon as, it heard, as it's heard. Now, we're not exactly sure how he does this, but the combination of the word hitting a hard heart, finding no place to germinate, and then being snatched away, it leaves the hearer nowhere. The second heart is a shallow heart. In verse 13 here, the word is received with great joy. There is the appearance of conversion, of someone genuinely coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But not, all is not as it seems. See, dig a little deeper and you'll find that the soil they are springing up from is shallow. Their roots do not go deep and, and soon enough when their faith is tested, they will wither and fall away. Every person who claims to follow Jesus will have their faith tested. Right? At some point, the sun will beat down, and there we will see if gospel-centered roots have gone deeply enough. If you have a superficial faith, the moment something hard comes, like the death of a loved one, right, difficult questions from your friends or your family, a prolonged season of unemployment, even the long heartache of singleness or infertility, when these times hit and your faith is shallow, you will wither. The third heart is a divided heart. It's the kind of heart that is preoccupied and distracted in verse 14. Here the seed springs up, but as it gets on, it becomes increasingly choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and and their fruit does not mature. If you've ever tried planting... uh, uh, What do you try planting? Plants. You try planting plants. If you ever tried planting plants in a garden bed, you'll, you will quickly learn that weeds spring up faster than the good plants. Some, you know, bad result from the fall. And the three weeds that Jesus identifies are serious dangers. First, there are the cares of this world. Right? It's the grades that need to be kept up. So skip, study, uh, skip your Bible study, skip church. It's the business that requires attention. It's the career that requires so much time and effort that you forsake your spiritual health. A number of you guys are here from Singapore and you'll head, out, you'll, you'll head back soon. And let me give you a firm warning. It's hard. The work culture over there is astonishingly hard. Right. We had a friend, uh, Terence and Grace, come from Singapore for the Ignite Training Conference. Terence lost a heap of weight. He looks good. But he didn't do it through diet or exercise. He lost it because of work. Because work is so hard and so long, it just drained him. Be careful. The next two weeds that spring up are good things turn bad, riches and pleasures. Now again, anytime we need to say this, we need to be really clear. There's nothing inherently wrong with earning lots of money. There's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying things and having pleasures. The warning that Jesus is giving is that these good gifts from God can become our master. I'll say that again. The good gifts of riches, of wealth, and pleasure and fun can become our master. So instead of letting God's word take priority in our lives, the divided heart is pulled in many different directions, and eventually this pull of the heart is, it pulls the heart and leads it astray. 
And the word of God is choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. Their spiritual lives die while the weeds of this temporary life flourish. The final heart in verse 15 is a good heart. It's the heart that is good and honest, not by nature, but by the life given to them by God's Holy Spirit. This is the life of a Christian who has heard the gospel, genuinely responded, and is genuinely seeking to live as God's people under God's rule. Their faith is tested, right? The sun has beaten down on them, but unlike the shallow heart, this person's roots go deep. They stand firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, in verse 15, they bear good fruit with patience. They bear the good fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul says in Galatians is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? This final heart is revealing the heart change that takes place in all genuine believers. And it's done in patience. Right? You notice that this fruit is born with patience. And the word patience can also be translated with perseverance. Right? A big reminder that fruit bearing often takes a lot of work and a lot of time before big results can be seen. We all want to be sprinters and get the race done as fast as we can. We are allergic to waiting. But the Christian life is a marathon race. Do not underestimate the glory of plodding. One small step at a time in a forward direction. Now this parable gives us some massive insight into why people respond the way that they do. A genuine believer hears the word of God, receives it into their lives and hearts, and does something with it. They trust it and they respond and bear fruit. Now, to further cement this idea of hearing and doing, Jesus gives another parable, and Luke gives us, he gives us a tax on a bit of a funny scene at the end as well. Uh, first, Jesus gives, an, gives us another parable in verses 16 and 17. No one lights a lamp and puts a cover over it, right? You light a lamp, or in our case, you switch it on, and you make sure that its light can be seen. No use turning on a lamp and then hiding it in a closet, right? What's the point here? Jesus is saying that that his followers are like lamps. We have received the light of God's revelation in Jesus. We have received the light of God's word. And what must we do with this light? We must shine it that others may see as well. And then Jesus gives his followers a firm warning in verse 18. Read again with me. Take care then how you hear. For to one who has, more will be given. And from one who has not... Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You've heard of that phrase, use it or lose it. I am so familiar with that phrase. If I miss a week of exercise like I did last Saturday, my muscles are gone. I've lost them. The gains that I made the Saturday before, the sweet, sweet gains, they're all gone by the next Saturday. And then I'm, I'm feeling the pain of it. Use it or lose it. Jesus is saying here, do it or lose it. Those who hear the words of Jesus will do what he says. And if you do, more will be given to you. More knowledge of God in his word. More of a sense of his good pleasure in your life. More of a sense of his presence and grace. More opportunities to share that light with others. But if you don't, even what you have will be taken away from you. Use it, do it, 
or lose it. And then in the final verses, Jesus' mother and his brothers come onto the scene. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You and I are Jesus' family if we hear and do his word. If you want to be part of God's kingdom, if you want intimacy with God, then hear the words of Jesus and do them. If you do, Jesus will become your elder brother. There are three applications, I think, from this parable this morning. First, how do you hear the word? Are you listening and not receiving, right? In one ear, out the other? Or are you receiving more of the word and growing in it? Are you heeding the warnings? See, whatever the Bible speaks of God's people, whenever the Bible speaks of God's people hearing the words of God, it's never just about listening to the sound of it. Hearing always contains with it the idea of listening, receiving it into your life, and responding to it accordingly. So, how are you hearing the word? A true disciple is, of Jesus is rooted and bears fruit. They say they believe and they also persevere in faith to the end. And they will persevere through the trials and pains of this life. They will persevere, persevere through the persecution that comes from believing in Jesus. And through that, all their roots will go deep into the gospel. Through all of that, their roots will go deeper into the gospel. Times of testing will come. Times of testing will come, and they are necessary. They are necessary to prove whether our trust is genuine or just lip service. And there are warnings from Jesus here that we need to listen as well. If If you recognize that you have a hard heart and you want to change, then pray for change. Ask God to break the hardness of your heart, to make it soft and open to receiving God's word. Right, maybe, maybe you need to find out more about who Jesus is, and that's okay. But if you know what he's done, and you're still doing nothing about it, then let me encourage you, do something now. Ask me, talk to me after the service, talk to Pastor Ben, who's not here today, but grab one of your friends, ask them more. Do something about it. Because for those who do nothing, there is no happy ending at the end. I think in particular for us here today, we need to pay careful attention to the treasures and pleasures of this life and that they do not choke our faith. What treasures do we hold dear to our lives? Let me give you a little test. If you find yourself with a spare moment to let your imagination wander, your battery's down to 10%, you've got the rest of the afternoon so you can't look at your phone anymore, and so you think to yourself what am I going to do now? And your mind starts to wonder, where does it go? If we could print out your search history from Google or on your phone, what would it reveal about your heart? Now, I've got to be careful about this as much as anyone else. For those who know me, you know that I'm a pretty passionate guy. I'm pretty passionate about the things in, in my life and my hobbies and the things that I like. But I have to be careful that my passions and my pleasures do not lead other people astray. Now I think, I think, 
at the moment, that's okay. I don't think anyone's been led astray, but I know that I've got to be careful. I've heard other things, though, in particular in the first service, but this is something for us to think about into the future as well. I've heard parents sharing with other parents about the schools that their kids must go to in order to get the best education that's most recognized globally. But do you realize that encouraging and in promoting these things, you may be encouraging the growth of weeds that could choke, right? Going to a great school and getting a great education, that's fine, that's great. Praise God and that we have those options with us. But if we keep encouraging things in each other that have the potential to choke, the danger is that potential may be realized. Let us all reflect on this and take care. Second application, share the gospel. In the parable, the sower is anonymous, standing for anyone who shares God's word. And in the second, in the second parable, Jesus makes clear that our job as Christians is to share the gospel, to shine the light of Jesus to this world. And we do this not just by our good lives, but by speaking the gospel. Our job is to speak, to sow the seed. God will bring about the growth. So share the gospel and let God take care of the rest. You're not responsible for how people respond right? You don't create the soil. You don't change the heart. You just share the seed. The end of time will reveal to us fully and finally what happened to the seed that we have sowed. Um, Mark Dever tells a great story of uh, this 18th century preacher, evangelistic preacher. Uh, One boy who was 13 years old at the time came and heard this speaker speak. And then nothing happened for the next 80 years of this boy's life. And then one day, when this, old, this boy turned old man was in the field, plowing his, um, I think plowing behind a cow, like with, with the plow, and the evangelist preacher long dead, he recalled that sermon and gave his life to Christ in that field. The seed that you plant may lie in the ground until you do, before it springs up. So keep spreading the seed. Final application, pray. Share the gospel, trust God for the rest, and pray that he changes hearts. I know that some of us here today, when we heard about the hard hearts, the shallow hearts, and the divided hearts, some of us were thinking about our friends and our family. Maybe even about the people sitting next to us, which soils they are, what their hearts are like. A son or a daughter or a brother or a sister who grew up in church but has walked away from the faith. Maybe because life got too busy. Maybe because they were hurt by relationships here in church. Maybe because they fell in love with this world and fell out of love with Jesus. A non-Christian parent or a spouse, right? they've come to church a few times, they've heard the gospel a few times, but they just haven't responded. I know for some of us here today, there is an agony in relation to this. A pain that this parable speaks so clearly about what your loved one is like.
You've seen them walk away. You've seen them non-responsive. It's so hard to see them reject the only one who can save them. So pray. Pray for a change of heart. Pray that God who can and does change hearts. Pray to him. Pray that God will work his grace into their lives, softening their hearts, deepening shallow hearts and weeding divided hearts. Pray for those who have faded away because of trial. Pray that they would be encouraged and find healing and forgiveness in Jesus. Pray that they would see the grace and mercy of Jesus as far more powerful, more profound, more delightful, and worth going through the pain of trusting him. And for those we know who are wrapped up in the cares, pleasures, and treasures of this world, you might have to pray this hard prayer. Pray that God would bring them to ruin. Pray that he would shatter their world so that they would see their deep and profound need for Jesus. At the Ignite conference last week, I met a girl named Tina. She uh, is attending another church that I know well. But I've been there a couple of times in recent years and I can't remember seeing her. And so I asked her, you know, um, how long she's been with the church. And she said she's been with the church for two years, or she was at the church for two years, and then she stopped going for three years, and she's been back now for another two years. And so naturally I asked her why she walked away from church. And she said it's because she fell in love with a non-Christian guy. And she wanted to experience the freedom of life with him. She moved out. She walked away from Jesus because... There was this guy who loved her and she wanted to experience life like that. Moved out, moved in with him, lived it all. And so I asked her, what then brought you back to church? And she said that her life was going so well, right? Living with her boyfriend was great. Work was great. Life was great. And then her boyfriend broke up with her and her whole world came crashing down. Then and only then did she realize how much she needed God and Jesus in her life. She came back to church, found forgiveness, reconciled with God, reconciled with her friends at church. And there she was at a training conference learning how to teach and read the Bible for herself and read and teach it for others. The prodigal son had to hit rock bottom before he realized he needed his father. See, as long as we remain comfortable with our pleasures and our treasures, there's no reason to turn to Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes we have to pray that their lives will become so broken that they will be forced to see that the truest treasure is Jesus himself. And that's a hard thing to pray for. But it might be what is needed. So pray that God will do whatever he needs to do in order to bring somebody back to him. You're thinking about that friend or that family member. Let me pray with you now for them.
Father in heaven, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that will receive your word. Good hearts, honest hearts, from which your word will spring forth and reap back a hundredfold. But we pray that you would do whatever it takes, not only within us, but within our friends and with our family, to bring us back to you. Tear down the idols that we so love. Break down the treasures that make us so comfortable. And we pray for our friends and family who have fallen in love with this world, that you would help them fall out of love with the world. Father, as we hear this parable, as we hear the warnings and try to heed them, we pray that you would never help us to never, ever let our lives outlive our love for you. Help us to always respond well. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory and our joy. Amen.